The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is October 26, 2019. On this day in 1965, 16-year-old Sylvia Likens was brutally murdered by her foster mother, Gertrude Banishevsky. Sylvia, and to a lesser extent her sister Jenny, suffered beatings, verbal abuse, and sexual assault in the lead-up to Sylvia's tragic death. After the murder, Gertrude tried to blame Sylvia's death on neighborhood boys. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, gift mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're looking at the tragic death of Sylvia Likens, who was violently abused and murdered by her caretaker. In the name of disciplining the children, Gertrude Banishevsky viciously abused her charges. Upon Sylvia's death, her younger sister Jenny found herself without a single ally in the abusive household. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Before we unpack the ramifications of Sylvia's death, let's go back to October 26, 1965, on a chilly afternoon in a house outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. Jenny huddled in the corner, pulling her knees up to her chest. She tried not to think about what had just happened, instead repeating the same phrase over and over in her mind. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look. She'd been through hell. Sometimes she'd wondered if that was literally true and God was punishing her. But today, she reached new depths of pain and heartbreak. Her older sister, Sylvia, was gone forever. Dead. Murdered. Police swarmed the house, filling every room and every hallway. Jenny heard her foster mother giving her statement from the kitchen. She could hear the now-familiar lies. 
Gertrude announced that Sylvia was disobedient, promiscuous, always engaging in risky behavior. Gertrude claimed that Sylvia had run off with a group of dangerous boys who'd raped her and then murdered her. To back up the story, she pointed to the words that had been cut into Sylvia's stomach in her final hours. I'm a prostitute and proud of it. As she eavesdropped, Jenny felt her blood boil. Gertrude was a liar. She and Sylvia had been nothing but polite and obedient, and yet Gertrude had yelled. She'd hit them. She'd gathered neighborhood kids to participate in the name-calling and physical assaults. Sylvia had taken the worst of it, and in the days and weeks leading up to her death, the girl had grown sickly thin, her body a battered canvas of bruises and broken bones. Days ago, Sylvia had secretly shared her fears with Jenny. She worried that there was only one escape from Gertrude's abuse, death. Today, Jenny could only hope that Sylvia was in a better place. But Jenny was still trapped under the thumb of the woman who'd murdered her sister. And if she didn't act soon, she would die just as surely and painfully as Sylvia had. But Jenny was a survivor, and she'd never get another chance like this one. So although she knew that she was risking discovery, punishment, and her own death, Jenny defied her foster mother. She crept away from the room, confident that Gertrude wouldn't see her slink down the hall. She was still too busy lying to the investigators. Nevertheless, she held her breath, praying she'd go unnoticed as she passed. When Jenny spared a glance at her foster mother through an open doorway, she was relieved to see that Gertrude's back was turned. Jenny jogged up to a pair of police officers. They were sipping coffee, chatting, and didn't seem too concerned about the murder scene right under their noses. Jenny tugged at one's shirt sleeve to get his attention. As the officer glanced down at Jenny, she summoned every ounce of courage she had for her next words. Get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Next, we'll explore Sylvia Likens' harsh life and torturous death. We'll also tell how Jenny Likens' tip brought justice for her deceased sister. Now, back to the story. Sylvia was born on January 3, 1949, and her younger sister Jenny was born the following year. The girls were the daughters of carnival workers who often had to travel for their work. When their parents separated, the Likenses worked out a system where they would take turns working or caring for the children. But when Jenny and Sylvia's mother was arrested and sentenced to jail for shoplifting in the summer of 1965, their father became solely responsible for childcare as well as supporting himself and his family. He arranged for a local woman, Gertrude Banishevsky, to care for his daughters, while he resumed his work on the road. He paid Gertrude $20 a week for her services. But Jenny and Sylvia's father never could have anticipated Gertrude's sadistic streak. 
only two weeks after the girls came to stay with her, Gertrude began to regularly beat them, starve them, and verbally berate them. And she didn't act alone. She encouraged her biological children to bully the girls. Gertrude seemed to take special delight in devising new tortures for Sylvia, but that didn't mean Jenny was totally spared from abuse. On one occasion, Gertrude invited neighborhood children to her house and encouraged them to beat Sylvia unconscious. She even supplied lit cigarettes so that the visitors could burn Sylvia with them. One of Gertrude's daughters, Paula, once hit Sylvia so hard she broke her own wrist. Gertrude later ordered Paula to use the cast as a weapon in her beatings. Gertrude also sexually assaulted Sylvia with a soda bottle, while her children watched and laughed. Sylvia's bodily damage was so severe, she permanently lost control of her bladder. Later, as punishment for wetting the bed, Sylvia was forced to live in the dank, unfinished basement. Although the girls continued to regularly attend school and church, they didn't report their circumstances to any adults. They were resigned to their fates. Likewise, many neighbors could tell that Sylvia was in a dire physical state, but few did anything to intervene. Their inaction only confirmed Jenny and Sylvia's opinions that adults were untrustworthy and unconcerned with their well-being. On October 23, 1965, 16-year-old Sylvia confessed to her sister, I'm going to die, I can tell. Gertrude also seemed aware that Sylvia couldn't survive much longer, but instead of letting up on the torture, she prepared for the impending murder. She spread rumors around town that Sylvia was promiscuous and that she'd already run away from home to live as a sex worker. On the night of October 25, 1965, Sylvia escaped from the basement and tried to run away for help. Gertrude caught Sylvia at the door and beat her unconscious. Even after Sylvia passed out, Gertrude didn't relent. She kicked and stomped on Sylvia's head until her skull shattered. But Sylvia didn't die right away. Gertrude scrambled to cover up her involvement in the murder, instructing her children to tell the police that Sylvia had run away to become a sex worker. Gertrude had, in the weeks before, forced Sylvia to write a note that corroborated her version of the events and carved the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, into Sylvia's belly with a hot needle. Sylvia succumbed to her injuries the afternoon of October 26, 1965. After shouting at the other children in the house that Sylvia was faking her death and hitting her in the face with a book in an attempt at resuscitation, Gertrude finally instructed one of the neighborhood boys to call the police to report her death. During the investigation, Gertrude reported her carefully concocted story that Sylvia had run away from home, begun performing sex work, and then had been sexually assaulted and murdered by her own Johns. 
It's possible the police would have accepted this story if not for Jenny's intervention. She flagged down an officer and told him everything about the abuses the girls had suffered at Gertrude's hands. The subsequent autopsy confirmed Sylvia's many injuries were sustained over a long period of time prior to her death. In addition, she was severely malnourished. On the strength of this evidence, police arrested Gertrude shortly thereafter on charges of first-degree murder. On May 19, 1966, Gertrude Banishevsky was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Her oldest children and the neighborhood bullies also received convictions, which varied in severity, for their own roles in Sylvia's abuse and murder. Gertrude served 20 years until her parole in 1985. After her testimony helped put Gertrude Banishevsky behind bars, Jenny lived a quiet life. She'd escaped her torture and abuse, but she was too late to save her sister's life. She died at 54 years old in 2004. Today, the abhorrent abuse and murder of Sylvia Likens remains a shameful memory. She was failed by her father, neighbors, friends, and her caretaker, and died with no motive other than one woman's sick, torturous impulses. For more information on Sylvia's tragic death, check out our episodes of Female Criminals on Gertrude Banishevsky. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Today in True Crime for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 